I got a great story. In um, the middle of the Great Depression in 1935, New York City, wintertime. It's a super fun. This guy you may have heard of, he was the mayor of New York City at the time. His name was Fiorello LaGuardia. There's an airport named after him. He visited a, a night court in the poorest district of New York City. And he showed up and he gave the judge the night off. And he said, let me hear the cases tonight. And a shopkeeper was bringing to court an old poor grandmother who had stolen a loaf of bread for her starving grandchildren. She couldn't afford an attorney, and so she had to defend herself. And when asked to give a reason why she stole bread, she said, my daughter's husband has deserted her. She is sick, and her children are starving. The shopkeeper refused to drop the charges and said, Your Honor, Mr. Mayor, this neighborhood's a bad neighborhood, and you have to make an example out of her to teach people not to steal bread from me. LaGuardia sighed, and he turned to the old woman, and he said, I've got to punish you. The law makes no exception, no exceptions. $10 or 10 days in jail. But while pronouncing the sentence, he stood up. He reached into his pocket, and he pulled out a $10 bill, and he threw it into his hat, and he said these famous words. Here's the $10 fine, which I now remit, and furthermore, I'm going to fine everyone in this courtroom 50 cents for living in a town where a person has to steal bread so that her grandchildren can eat. Mr. Bailiff, collect the fines and give them to the defendant. The following day, a New York newspaper reported $47.50 was turned over to a bewildered old grandmother who had stolen a loaf of bread to feed her starving grandchildren. This was what was printed in the paper, quote, making forced donations were a red-faced storekeeper, 70 petty criminals, and a few New York policemen. What LaGuardia demonstrated is what we would call mercy. Today, that was, um, her, her $10 fine in today's dollars would be $190, the kind of equivalent of maybe a speeding ticket. And the forty-seven fifty she was given is today the equivalent of $900. Imagine going to the court to pay a speeding ticket and the mayor of the city saying, we're going to take up a collection and you're going to walk out of here with $900. Mercy. So let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, if you have the YouVersion app, I know many of y'all have been using the Bible app, and you can go to more at the bottom, go to locations, and find um, all of our sermon notes on there. It's pretty cool. I was talking to someone last week, and he said that he was able to take more notes in the Bible app than when he does normally, and I thought that was kind of cool. So if you don't know about the Bible app and all that stuff, great stuff. We are, of course... Um, 
working through the Sermon on the or the Beatitudes, which open the Sermon on the Mount. And we'll read them all because there's a definite flow and order there that's important to see. Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Today is blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of our Lord. Uh, Last week I showed uh, a picture of the Beatitudes in the form of kind of an hourglass shape or or a funnel and an inverted funnel. I'd like to show you that again just so that um, where we are at, let me bend down a little bit just in case I'm in your way. Last week we looked at hunger and thirst and the idea there is that when you work through understanding your spiritual poverty and then mourning for your sin and then um, humbling yourself and taking on the posture of Christ of meekness, what happens is you are emptying you of you. And the fourth beatitude is pretty automatic. When a stomach is empty, it automatically hungers. And, and when we are empty of ourselves, we automatically hunger and thirst for righteousness, the things of God. And so he begins to fill us with part of who he is. And the first one is that we, are, that we become merciful people. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Um, you know, in the church, we have lots of buzzwords because there are these important theological words we use all the time. And, the more, and we use them all the time because they're important. They're significant. But one of the downsides and one of the challenges with using important words is the, the more you use them, um, it's possible to kind of lose sight of what the definition actually is of these things. So the longer you're around Christians or the longer you read the scriptures or the longer you're in church, you might hear and even say words like the gospel or grace or mercy or the kingdom of heaven, which is a really broad one. And if pressed, it could be difficult to actually know what those mean. In fact, honestly, uh, had I not been studying this for my job, and you said to me, Drew, can you, within 30 seconds, define mercy in a tweet, 130 characters or less? Go. I would have, I think I'd get there eventually, but it would be difficult. It would not be this automatic thing. And often we confuse grace and mercy and unfortunately use those terms interchangeably. They're very different. So I'd like to give you first a definition biblically of what the word uh, mercy is. The Hebrew word for mercy is used 246 times in the the Old Testament. Um, And I'm not one for pronunciations, so I'm going to ask for some help here. How do you pronounce this word? Because I don't have the phlegm. Mm -hmm. 
Chesed. Chesed. That's the word mercy. Isn't that great? So good. Chesed <laughs> is 149 times translated into mercy in English. What is surprising to me is some of the other times it's translated. It, 40 times it's translated kindness. More than that, 30 times it's translated loving kindness. 12 times goodness, 5 times kindly, merciful, favor, good, God, uh, goodliness. That's a word apparently, goodliness is one time. Pity. And so the, the Hebrew word said, <laughs> i got to get the phlegm in the throat to say these words, is really multidimensional. And this one Hebrew word requires so many English words to really get around what mercy is. My favorite definition of mercy is that mercy is compassion for people in need, but it doesn't stop there. Mercy is compassion for people in need joined with a desire to help them. That's mercy. Mercy is not just feeling bad for somebody. Um, but mercy is being, being moved, having a deep compassion in your heart for someone you see in need, and then willing to put one foot in front of the other and do something about it. That's mercy, which is different than grace. Grace would be similar, but on the basis of, you know, we don't merit it, and it's God's power. But mercy is this, is this deep compassion for those in need, joined with a desire to help them. Um, when I read the Beatitudes, blessed are the mercy the merciful, I read it because I'm a visual learner. I read it as blessed are the mercy space full. Blessed are those who are full of mercy. Our God is a God of mercy who shows mercy continuously. And if we are citizens of his kingdom, and, and some argue that the Beatitudes are just the ethics of the kingdom, then it is a requirement by definition of being in the kingdom of heaven to show others mercy because God has shown us mercy. Often, whether we have mercy or not to show others is an indicator and a marker of where our own attitude is towards our own forgiveness. When I am not merciful, the truth is I have lost a little bit of how much I am in need of mercy. When I am short with others, it is because I have lost sight of how generous God is with me. When I am unforgiving of others, it is because I have lost track of just how much I am in need of forgiveness from God, right? And I would like to offer you that question of, are you merciful? And if you're like me, my nature is not to be merciful. On the Myers-Briggs, if you know the Myers-Briggs, I am an E-N-T, capital J, <laughs> which is, stands for judging. I am not naturally a merciful person. And my problem is the God I serve 
my Abba Father is rich in mercy. And I desperately need his spirit to make me less of a judger and more of someone who is rich in mercy. The Good Samaritan is this well-known parable Jesus tells in Luke chapter 10. I highly doubt you've not heard of it. I I think everyone has heard of the Good Samaritan. Uh, Even people who don't know Christ or have never been in church know of this story, the Good Samaritan. It's probably his his best-known parable. And it would have been considered an oxymoron, the Good Samaritan. I was at a, a conference years ago in Austin called Verge. Uh, I think Cass and Susan were there. And there was um, an African-American professor by the name of Dr. John Perkins. He was speaking. And he was speaking on social justice. And, and he, he unpacked this parable. And I had never heard this parable explained as the way that this uh, professor who is African-American, and he challenged what was mostly a white crowd. And he said, if Jesus were to show up in the South in the 60s and tell this parable, it would have been called the good Negro. Now, that's coming from Dr. Perkins, who's African-American. And I, it, it had me just stopped because I had never considered because I have we we have you know I hear of how the ancient Jews didn't like the Samaritans but I don't really have a frame of reference for that and it was really um, to see him teach this parable as a white student from a, a black professor it was so it's opened my eyes to see this I think um, today it might be If Jesus were teaching Democrats, he would tell this parable and call it the good Republican. And if he were teaching Republicans, he would tell this parable and call it the good Democrat. The idea is the person who is in line with God's character might not look or act or believe what we are used to. So he tells this, this, uh, this, this parable, and I'll paraphrase it for you, but if you want to look into it, it's Luke chapter 10, verse 25 to 37. This lawyer comes to Jesus to try to trick him, and he says, um, you know, how must I get eternal life? And Jesus asks him a question, and he answers right. He says, to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, you answered, you answered correctly. And then um, the lawyer is trying to justify himself, and he says, well, Jesus, who's my neighbor? And he's trying to define the terms on which he should love people. And it's a very me-centered question. He says, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And that's important that you understand the question he's asking because Jesus doesn't even answer his question. So Jesus then tells him the Good Samaritan which is a priest is on his way to work, sees someone in need whom robbers have beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. And the priest, who you would expect to have mercy, crosses the street to avoid him. 
Next is a Levite, who we would assume is someone who's kind of in training to be a priest, sees this person on the side of the road. He's an apprentice priest, basically. Again, crosses the side of the road to avoid seeing someone in need. The third character is the Samaritan, the person that the religious first century Jew would say, we don't agree with their interpretation of how to worship and all of their religious beliefs and their ethnic, uh, their ethnicity and their culture, but it is the Samaritan who goes, helps him, takes him to get help, essentially opens a tab, says, whatever the cost, I'll pay for it. And then Jesus, at the end of this parable, asks the lawyer who was the neighbor, which is fascinating because his question initially was, Jesus, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus flips it and says, no, who was the neighbor? Putting it in a positive spin. And the answer in this most well-known parable in verse 37 the lawyer who was trying to trick Jesus says, the one who had mercy. I, you know, I know this parable very well. I've taught it many times. But I never picked up that mercy is the thing that is so keen here because I've kind of focused on the Samaritan part. But it's the one who had mercy. Uh, I got a, a really crazy story to tell you on this. I was actually um, teaching on this passage on the Good Samaritan years ago. And I, I, I start my sermons on Wednesday morning. That's my rhythm. And uh, so I had started working on this, and then it was lunchtime, and I went to go have, take a break. I went and had lunch with a friend of mine who owns um, two restaurants on the Riverwalk. He wanted to have lunch with me. So we, I go to visit him. And um, one of his restaurants is, is like a Tex-Mex. And then on the, another floor is um, a pizza parlor. And he actually, actually has a third. He's got an ice cream parlor. So he's got three kind of restaurants on the river. So I'm taking a break from my sermon on the Good Samaritan. And I go to have lunch with my friend who's a restaurateur. And after the end of lunch, it's time to go, and I go to, to the parking lot, and it starts to rain a little bit. Like, not massive, but just kind of enough to be annoying. And as we are walking to my car, this businessman, and then me, a pastor, we both see this homeless person in need who has spotted some help and automatically changes his direction and starts walking towards us and is trying to make eye contact, and we both know what's about to come. This is the part of the story I'm not proud of. Because hours earlier, I was deep in the text of the Good Samaritan. And without even thinking, I rushed to my car, avoided eye contact, unlocked my car, opened the door, got in my car as quickly as possible without looking around. And as I reached to close the door to my car, I was expecting to hear a voice, which would have been the homeless person asking for help. And I heard a voice, but as I went to close the door and I started to hear the voice, it was not the voice I was expecting. 
It wasn't the homeless person's voice. It was my friend's voice. He had spoken first. And all I heard was, as I'm closing the door, was, do you want a pizza? And I closed my door. And I looked over in the rain, and I see my friend who owns three restaurants on the river and several in other cities go towards the homeless person in the rain, puts his arm around him, and walks into the restaurant. It took me an hour to realize what had happened. <laughs> I got back to my office and got back to the text, read it again, and realized, oh, Lord. I was the priest who walked on the other side of the road to avoid the person in need. And my friend, who's a businessman, who's not a pastor, was the one who went straight to him and said, are you hungry? Do you want to come get out of the rain? How can I help you? My friend has a lot of mercy. I still can't get over how just so instinctually my heart was to go on the other side of the road. The world tends to insulate itself against the pains and calamities of people. And I think the church is at her best when we don't insulate ourselves against the pains of society. But as I study this this week, I'm reminded of how my default nature is to insulate myself from the pains and calamities of people. I'd like to just show quickly how wonderful this is in God. In 1 Kings chapter 3, we see that his mercy is great. Solomon says, you have shown great and steadfast love or mercy to your servant David. In Psalms 57, verse 10, we learn, again, his mercy is great. It's a famous worship song. For your steadfast love or your mercy is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. You know, and remember that third day song, your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. They're talking about your love, your steadfast love, your mercy. In Lamentations chapter 3, we learn that his mercy never ceases. It never stops. It says the steadfast love or the mercy of our Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. In Psalms 86, we learn that his mercy is abundant. It says, for you, Lord, are good, ready to forgive, abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. In Psalms 103.11, we learn that his mercy is unmeasurable. It says, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love and mercy towards those who fear him. Psalms 136.1, we learn that his mercy endures. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. In Luke chapter 1, we learn that his mercy is tender. 
It says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high. In 2 Corinthians 1.3, we learn that God is the Father of mercies. The text says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and God of all comfort. What a label. I think if God had an Instagram account, the bio would say, Father of mercies. He probably wouldn't have Instagram. <laughs> Ephesians 2, we learn that mercy awakened us when we were dead in our sins. One of my favorite verses about the gospel says, But God, being rich in mercy. Aren't you thankful he's not poor in mercy? He's rich in mercy. Because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Last one, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, we learn that it is his mercy that saves us. Paul says, he saved us not because of works done by us in our righteousness, but he saved us according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. I'm reminded just how central the attribute of mercy is to our God. There's a, um, a publication, um, uh, a story that I came across by a, a woman named Mary Ann Bird, and it's titled The Whisper Test. And um, Mary Ann says, I grew up knowing I was different, and I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate. And when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A little girl with a misshapen lip, crooked nose, lopsided teeth, garbled speech. When schoolmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them I'd fallen and cut it on a piece of glass because somehow it seemed more acceptable to having suffered an accident than to be born different. I was convinced no one outside my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in my second grade that we all adored. Her name was Mrs. Leonard. She was short, round, happy, a sparkling lady. Every year we had a hearing test, and Mrs. Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class. It was finally my turn. I knew from past years that as we stood against the door and covered one ear, the teacher sitting at her desk would whisper something and we would have to repeat it back, like, the sky is blue or do you have new shoes? And I waited there on the other side of the door to hear the words that God must have put in her mouth. Those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard whispered, I wish you were my little girl. 
That's mercy. That's loving kindness. That's goodliness. To see someone in need and to say, I need to do something to bless them. While we were still sinners, while we were on the other side of the door, not with a misshapen lip, but a misshapen soul. God whispered to us, I wish you were my child. And he didn't just have compassion on us. He joined his compassion with some effort. And that he sent his son to come and to do for us the thing we couldn't do. To save us and to actually make us his children. That's why we call it the good news. That's why we call it the gospel, the announcement. That's why we sing. Mercy. Have you grown familiar with the mercy that God has for you? One way you know that is if you're apathetic towards those who are in need around you. Are you gentle or hard-nosed towards those who are downtrodden? Are you helpful or callous towards those who have backslidden? Are you compassionate or impatient with the fallen? Do you need God's mercy? We all need God's mercy. But do you need to be reminded this morning that his mercy is great and unending for you? Another question, last, that I want to ask you is, is there someone that God has placed in your life that needs to hear a whisper of mercy from you? I'm thankful that Mrs. Leonard recognized that this second grader needed to hear a whisper of mercy. I bet every one of us has someone in our life that needs to hear a whisper of mercy. And I want to encourage you to um, open your heart to the mercy of God and to ask for his help to be like the Good Samaritan who actually puts one foot in front of the other. And don't do what I did. Don't rush to the car and close the door. The last thing I want to emphasize to you is God's mercy doesn't come naturally to us and is not something that we do. It is something that he has to give you. The Father of mercies will give you mercy. He will fill you with mercy if you seek it, if you ask for it, if you pray for it. It has to be given. 
You can't just drum it up. So I want to leave you with that. To um, to ask for it, man. I, I'm convicted by my own preaching this morning, man. It's great. We need it. Let's pray. Lord, we just say um, that we need you. We need more of you in our life. We live in a harsh world. We live in a world full of judgments. We live in a world full of offenses. We need your mercy, God. I need it. I I have no power in myself to produce the kind of mercy that is required in your kingdom. And I look to you, God, and I ask for you to to exchange judgment for mercy. Your mercy triumphs over judgment. We need that. We ask for your help. But for those here who are in a place where they just need your mercy, I pray that in our moments here, you would pour out your spirit in a way that no human can do. From their head to their toe, you would help them to feel and sense and to know your kindness, your mercy, your compassion. But I pray you would silence the accusing voice of the evil one and that you would amplify your voice of affirmation, your voice of grace, your voice of mercy. And for those who need salvation this morning, for those who need saving and delivering, what I pray today would be the exact moment that you awaken the dead heart by your rich mercy.